Welcome to My Practical Psychologist with Dr. Brian Chandler, here for another podcast talking about emotional fitness. We've talked a lot about the cognitive component. I'm going to talk some more about this. This is fundamental with understanding emotional fitness. Um, I want to review how this, how this works. Uh, my flow chart that I often refer to uh, has the events at the top, which leads to thoughts, which then leads to feelings, which leads to behaviors, and ultimately to outcome. And so um, I've gone through examples uh, often about how this works, and we're going to take an example just to review. We're going to talk about uh, taking a test and actually flunking the test. That's the event. A lot of times we think that the event will immediately lead to a feeling like sadness or, or frustration. But as you are coming to understand from listening to me, the event has no power to create a feeling. Rather, it is the thoughts that we choose about the event. We're always processing. It's so quickly. Our brain is so, it's so fast. We, we process things so quickly that it seems like the event leads to the emotion, but it's really the thoughts. And so if we flunk a test and we're feeling upset or disappointed, um, we look at the thoughts. What are the thoughts that you have chosen that led you to feel sad, frustrated, disappointed. Um, if the thoughts are, I'm, I'm dumb. I can't do this class. I'm never going to pass. You're going to feel pretty upset. And then the behavior is probably not going to be very motivated to study. You'll probably just avoid studying for the next test. And then the outcome is probably maybe uh, you'll fail the next test. So we want to get real good at getting into that, that cognitive file and, and starting to adjust, getting rid of those irrational thoughts. To say I'm dumb, that's so overarching, overgeneralization, all-encompassing. No, you're not dumb. No, you just can say I flunked this test. I didn't prepare well enough. I didn't understand the material. I can do better. I can study harder. I can get with a group. I have passed t tests before, and so I'll be okay. Those thoughts are, are rational. You may still be frustrated, <clears throat> but you'll be hopeful. And the consequence or the behavior that will follow hopeful feelings probably will be motivated behavior to get with a study group, study a little bit harder, study a little bit better, a little bit uh, more effectively. And then the outcome will most likely be you'll do better and, and uh, start passing the test. And so there's just a, a, a review of that uh, flow chart that I like to refer to. Um, uh, I want to also mention other people just to kind of add some some credibility to some of the things I, I, I speak about. Um, talked about David Burns uh, before, and I want to mention Martin, Martin Seligman. He's a well-known, very well-known psychologist uh, in the 80s and 90s, did lots of great experiments, uh, was known for learned helplessness and then uh, learned optimism and positive psychology. Um, he talks about uh, our thought processes and how they impact us. And he, he uses the, the three P's. He talks about persistent, pervasive, and personal. So when I talk about irrational and rational thoughts, uh, um, th th these three P's would fall under the category of irrational thoughts. Let me apply these to my flunking a test example. The persistent part of this if he notices that if, if people are persistent with their thinking, like, for example, um, I flunked this test, so I'm going to flunk the next one and the next one and the next one. 
when you have this persistence about your, your thinking that it's just going to keep happening, that's very, very uh, destructive and leads to ultimately uh, to being pessimistic and depressed. Uh, the second P being pervasive with the flunking the test. Uh, I flunked this math test. I'm going to flunk the science test and the English test. And it, we, we broaden it across the board and we overgeneralize. When, when, when he sees that type of thinking, he, he points out that that is very destructive, this pervasiveness into, to what's happening. So watch out for that. The last P that he talks about is personal. So if it's flunking a test, it's personal. It's I'm just not smart enough. I'm dumb. Not that uh, I had to work late into the evening. Um, I had a maybe I had a sick child. <clears throat> maybe I was sick. Um, just discounting all the other variables that maybe have contributed to flunking the test, and just simply putting it on I'm just dumb. Personal, making it really personal. Again, that's a very destructive way of thinking. All three of those P's are irrational thought patterns, and we need to avoid them. I want to touch on perspective and attitude as it relates to the cognitive component of emotional fitness. It's very much uh, still our thinking, how we think about things. Um, Stephen Covey once said, we see the world not as it is, but as we are. Oh, that's so critical. I love that that phrase. I had a plaque in my office for many years. We see the world not as it is, but as we are. You follow that? So let me give an example <clears throat> because I, I say this. Let me add to this little, little phrase. We create our own world. So, for example, let's say this uh, one uh, teenager, he thinks his school is, is a, a horrible school. People are mean. And uh, he's never going to like it there. So we see the world not as it is, but as we are. And so he goes to school, again, seeing it in that way. Interestingly, others don't see it that way. They see it as a great school, and some see it as a, a friendly school. But he sees it as this, this mean, um, uh, not very nice school. As he does that, as he, as he uh, sees it that way, um, can you imagine how he's going about uh, his day at school? Is he smiling at people and, and, and waving and, and saying hello and good morning? Or is he? does he have his head down? Does he have a scowl on his face? Does he sit uh, alone in the cafeteria and sit in, in the back of the classroom? Yeah, and that's probably what happens. So it, it, as he does this, as he uh, exhibits this type of behavior, are his peers going to reach out and be very friendly? Probably not. That's right. Probably not. So consequently, he's not going to make many friends, and the school is not going to be a very friendly place. But can you see how he just created that? So again, we see the world not as it is, but as we are. So be careful. Pay attention to how you are seeing things, and maybe challenge um, your way of looking at something and try to take a different angle and, and, and a different perspective. <clears throat> Viktor Frankl wrote the, a book, Man's Search for Meaning. Many of you probably heard of that. <clears throat> I, I read that book many years ago. He uh, talks about our mind and how we get to manage or control our thoughts, choose our thoughts, and how fundamental that is to our emotional health. He, if you don't know who he was, he was a psychiatrist, uh, a Jew in Austria back in the um, 
World War II times with Hitler, and he, along with uh, thousands of his fellow countrymen, were, were, uh, he was rounded up and put on boxcars and, sh- and sent to Poland, Auschwitz, uh, infamous Nazi concentration camp. And he was there for three years, uh, and you know the atrocities of the Holocaust, but um, he survived and uh, lived to tell about his story. And he talked about this, uh, this idea of c- controlling thoughts. Interestingly, <laughs> when I read this book, I was a newly married, in school, working, feeling stressed about my life and trying to support my, my new wife and, and uh, uh, graduate from school. And I remember after reading this book, my stress level plummeted. <laughs> I, I felt my life was wonderful. My life was terrific. I had n- everything to be grateful for. So there's a, a, a good example of perspective as I talk about uh, Viktor Frankl. Um, another example related to attitude and perspective has to do with a, a friend of mine, a fellow psychologist, actually. Um, Mike, he... Uh, when he was a teen, he was getting into trouble, the juvenile delinquent and uh, um, some drugs and all those things and having to go to juvenile court for some of his, uh, his uh, juvenile offenses. Well, when he was uh, 16, he uh, had, was working in this um, a meat factory. And um, unfortunately, in the process of, uh, of uh, working there, this incident happened where his his arm got caught into in one of the machines and he he lost uh, uh, his left arm from the elbow down tragic tragic event and you can imagine for a 16 year old how devastating this would be and so he was devastated and down and out and life was horrible um, as boy I think we could all imagine that would certainly maybe be how we would approach it after a while he finally snapped out of it. He decided, okay, um, I gotta have a choice here. Uh, I can move forward or I can stay wallowing in this this uh, um, self-pity. So he got up, got going, graduated school, stopped the drugging, stopped the delinquency, uh, went on to college and became a psychologist. And tells a, a, a fun story about going into juvenile court. Now as a psychologist with one of his juvenile clients, in front of a judge that he actually stood before years earlier when he was the juvenile delinquent. Kind of a neat story. So Mike changed his perspective, snapped out of it, even though we, none of us would, would uh, disagree that this, this, uh, this was a very tragic event. But again, he had a choice to make, and he changed his perspective and attitude. Um, I love um, some of the stories that Dale Carnegie tells. He has... Uh, He's an author. You, you, I'm sure most of you know Dale Carnegie. Um, he's written many books, and one of them that I like is How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. And he gives uh, numerous examples about people changing their perspective and their attitude. One that I like um, as a, uh, this young man uh, named Ben Fortson. Um, he was uh, um, 24, I believe, at the time, if I remember the story correctly. And he was in a, a horrible accident and lost the, the use of his legs. And uh, Ben, as you can imagine, just kind of like my friend Mike, was devastated. Uh, tragic, tragic event, no questions. We would all be devastated if that were to happen. 
Well, he, he wallowed in his, his uh, self-pity for a long time. And uh, um, finally, um, he snapped out of it, decided he was going to make some changes. And he started to read books, started listening to music, started to explore uh, many things that he had previously not uh, explored. And then the book reading really became a passion. And he read, uh, uh, Dale Carnegie's book says that uh, um, Ben read like 1,400 books <laughs> over the course of about 14 or 15 years. Wow, that's over like 100 books a year. Lots of books <clears throat> in the process. He became um, interested in politics and uh, started to study politics and and. and studied the uh, current events of the day and what was going on in his, his, his town and in the state of Georgia, where he lived. And, uh, and eventually, he became the Secretary, Secretary of State for the state of Georgia. And so, great, uh, great example about how uh, changing your perspective, your attitude, can really move you forward and help you accomplish great things. Um, as I talk about emotional fitness, um, I feel strongly about uh, sh- just stressing. I don't want you to think that I'm, I'm, I'm giving you some magic pill, some panacea that's going to cure everything. I know life is hard. It often hurts, <clears throat> and it can hurt really badly. Um, um, we've all had very difficult experiences. I know many of you are struggling, and even uh, right now dealing with very very uh, difficult and complex circumstances. <clears throat> but um, I just want to try to help you have some hope, help you see that um, there's some things that you can do. Some of these things that I talk about, I truly believe can can really maybe help you turn a corner and head, start to head down a, a path that might be a little different. It's not going to necessarily be easy. Everything's not going to be roses. and There'll be still challenges and and trials and hardships, but again, um, having a different attitude and starting to explore and, and discover things, different things, I think can can do amazing, amazing uh, things in your life. Um, you know, sometimes uh, some of my clients and others that I've seen um, who who struggle with depression, anxiety, and they they often will. Um, have trouble getting up in the morning and they'll, they'll in their mind they're thinking I'm depressed and this is a symptom of depression I have a hard time getting up and, and feeling motivated for the day and, get, and getting getting moving and uh, and, and they say I'm just depressed and they attribute it to depression um, and I, I'd like to say this to everyone I say you know what I've had many mornings that are cold and dark and I don't want to get up and go to work and I know we we've all had those experiences, maybe many of them, and so don't don't just attribute it to being depressed and 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 count yourself out. Uh, sometimes we just have to tough it out. Again, I'm I'm not trying to be uh, insensitive, but sometimes we just have to force ourselves to get up, get moving, get a hot shower, get something to eat, get moving, move forward, and you start to feel better. And so uh, sometimes life can be hard, but we just have to get up and get moving. And it's not I'm depressed. Uh, that's what's causing this. It's it's I'm human, and it's 5 a.m., and I don't want to get up because it's cold and dark. 
And so I want to normalize that. I don't want you to think that you're somehow different or defective and that depression is causing this. This is a, a natural, common human experience. So remember that. And, and the next time you're stuck in your bed with a mattress on your back, you can uh, maybe just fight through that and, and get moving. And uh, um, having said that, I want to want to share a story that uh, really, uh, I think, motivates me. Um, it's uh, about a guy named David Goggins, uh, and uh, there's a book about him. It's called Living with a Seal. Jesse Itzler is the author. He's an author, an entrepreneur, um, and in his spare time, he um, actually runs marathons and does ultra marathons. And so uh, he was going, had this one event. It was a charity event in California, I believe, and it was uh, uh, you needed to run 100 miles in 24 hours. And uh, he was there with his, a team, his, his buddies. It wasn't by yourself. You do this with a group. And you each run, you know, 10, 15 miles and take turns and and uh, do the 100 miles in 24 hours. And so he was there with all his, his buddies getting ready and mm-hmm. other teams there. And he looked over a little bit, a little ways away, and there was this one, a guy sitting by himself with a bag of crackers and a bottle of water. And he thought to himself, what is this guy doing here? Surely he's not here by himself. Where's his team? Well, Jesse kind of brushed it off and didn't really worry about it and just got ready for the event. And, and him and his team did the 100 miles in 24 hours, completed the event. And uh, he noticed that this guy that was sitting alone actually did compete, complete the event of 100 miles in 24 hours by himself. In the process, he fractured almost all the bones in both of his feet and suffered kidney failure but he completed the 100 miles within 24 hours. Amazing, maybe a little crazy, but Jesse was, was really moved by what this guy did. So a little time passed, and uh, Jesse obtained the contact information of this David Goggins. Um, and David was a former Navy SEAL, um, and so that's put some context into this story. Um, so, so Jesse called... David up on the phone and said, hey, I saw what you did at that uh, charity event, uh, you know, a little while ago. That was pretty amazing. I think me and my family could learn a lot from you. Would you mind uh, living with us for like a month? And David agreed. And so Jesse flew David out to New York, uh, picked up at the airport and uh, brought him home, introduced him to his family. Next morning they get up go to the gym, and David turns to Jesse and asks, how many pull-ups can you do? And Jesse says, oh, I'll probably eight or ten. David says, go ahead. So Jesse gets up there and gets ten pull-ups. Uh, David waits about 45 seconds, tells him to go again. Jesse, oh, okay, gets up there and, and does about three pull-ups. Whew. 45 seconds later, David says to Jesse, go again. Jesse thinks, wow, this is, this is something else, okay? He gets up there and does about one, one and a half, and he's done. He is done. So he turns to David and says, okay, what are we doing next? And David looks at Jesse and says, uh, uh-uh, we are not doing one more thing in this gym today until you do 100 more pull-ups. 
One hundred. Jesse didn't have one left, he thought. And David's asking him to do a hundred. Well, guess what? It took him about 90 minutes, two hours, but Jesse did 100 more pull-ups. And David taught him then the 40% rule, which is something that the Navy SEALs live by. I don't know if it's research-based or, or what, but uh, the 40% rule is basically this. is When you think you're physically, mentally, emotionally done, you're only 40% done. You have got so much left in the tank. Point being, we give up too easily. Think about times in the past even that you've given up. Or think about times in the past that you thought you couldn't accomplish whatever this great feat was, and then you stuck to it, and you endured, and you fought through, and you accomplished it. So the 40% rule. You can do this. Emotional fitness is for everyone. The cognitive component, taking charge of our thoughts. Think those rational thoughts. Get really good at that, and uh, you'll be amazed at the, ch- the changes you'll see in your life. My Practical Psychologist with Brian Chandler. Thank you for joining us. We'll look forward to seeing you next time.